Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to read to you from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. It is such a well-known verse to us. But I want to take some thoughts from this that are perhaps not as well known to us today. Father, help us today to grow. Help us because we're here today to leave this room better, bigger, a bit smarter, with some new information and wisdom, with a challenge and a sense of responsibility in our hearts to stand up and step out into this new year with confidence and courage and boldness to step into the adventure that this year is for us. And as we stand here at the same time next year, I pray that we'll look back on 2015 and see it as just an outstanding, standout, vintage year for us in our walk and journey with you. Help me, Lord, to say these things well to your people here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes 3.1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Of course, then, as you know, Solomon goes on to mention all the different seasons. But he says there's a time and a season for everything. You know, as a pastor, as a leader, I think even as a parent you are aware that life is lived in seasons. We know from Genesis chapter 1 that God divided time into seasons, that God instituted days and months and years and weeks and seasons into creation. So we are familiar with seasons. Of course, we know that there are four seasons in the natural, winter and spring and summer and autumn, although you just have one season in your country. We in the frozen West have all those seasons, and so we understand those four seasons. And the benefit of understanding them is that we prepare and we adapt and we adjust our lifestyles to survive and to continue functioning even in the harshest winter. So I have been interested in seasons, of course, because I know that each of those seasons is a metaphor for seasons that we go through in our lives spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, circumstantially, we also go through seasons. What we want to do in seasons, as you know, is we want to understand them as the best we can in order to navigate our way through them in the best we can. And then to come out the other side of the season and perhaps have learned something, we can hand back to others that are going through a season that is unknown to them but familiar to us because we've lived a bit longer on the planet and we've found how to discern and perceive the best way to go through different seasons of life. However, I became aware over the last 10 years in my own life and in the life of our church that about 15 years ago, our church, as some of you know, in a book I wrote called Crossing Over, went through a very drastic, fundamental reinvention um, about 15 years ago. And I realized that that was such a shift for our church. It was such a 
change in the very DNA of our church that many, many people didn't know how to respond to that unknown, un indefinable, unnamed season that we went through. I called it crossing over, wrote a book about it to try and make sense of it for me and pastors around the world that have now benefited from the reinvention we went through as a church because we were 25 years old, like you are, when our church needed a major reinvention. Your church doesn't need a major reinvention, but our church had got stuck and turned inward and stopped reaching out to people. And we were just having a very happy religious club experience of our own, not realizing that we were quietly dying and turning more inward. So 25 years on, we needed a massive reinvention. And we did that in the late 90s. There is a season that's between seasons that I'm very interested in that's more common than any of us realize. Some of you are there right now. It is the season in between seasons I call the season of transition. It is what I call the fifth season. It's not winter, spring, summer, or autumn. It's the time between each of those. And I think this is important as a season to define. And over the years, I've tried to give language to this because because the time between seasons is itself a season. But because it doesn't have a familiar appearance and it doesn't have characteristics like the other ones we know, we don't know what's going on. It's characterized, it's transition, it's characterized by fear and confusion and disorientation and panic and frustration and even aggression. Because the in-between seasons is neither one thing or the other. We're letting go of something that we know and we've not yet taken hold of something that's coming next. We kind of feel naked and we feel stripped of anything that we can get reference from. So we are disoriented in between seasons. There is a point in childbirth called the point of transition. It is when the baby is in the birth canal, it is between, as it were, the womb of the past and the doors, as it were, to the future. And the baby is at the point of no return. It is, as midwives will tell you, it is the most critical point in the whole labor process. It is when the baby is in its most dangerous moment. It is when the mother needs to push the hardest to get the baby out into the world. It is called the point of transition. And as I studied that and talked to midwives about that over the years, I began to realize and, and being sort of almost present, present for the birth of my children, but that's many years ago, I now have seven grandchildren, eight on the way in March. The whole grandchildren thing is out of control, by the way. Someone should stop it now. So I have been present, I have been in the hospital for all of my grandchildren's birth, and I've heard the screams and all the drama going on, and just thank God I'm not a woman. Um, though it's difficult for we men, don't forget to spell a thought for us men, you know, because our, our fingers get tired as we massage our wife's shoulder and things and arm as we try to show comfort. Thank you. But in that room where the birth is taking place, there are three people. There is the mother, there is the baby, and there is the midwife. And each one of them have a different job to do. Each one of them have a very different perspective. Two of those three people are not having any fun. 
The mother is very consumed with pain. She is preoccupied with pain. All she wants is pain management. She wants the pain to be reduced. She wants to get the baby out as soon as possible and as painless as possible. She can be so disoriented and so frustrated and so anxious about the pain in her body that she forgets it's not about the pain, it's about the baby. You know, there has been pain for some of you in 2014. But in every sorrow, there is a seed. Often we forget that. It's not uncommon for, for mothers giving birth to say, that's it, I've had enough, I am out of here. To try and get up off the table and walk out in the middle of labor, deciding, I have had enough, I can't take any more of this. Not realizing because there's a baby at the end of all this, and in a few moments or hours' time, the mum will be cuddling the newborn and forget about the pain and be glad she went through it. And the proof that she believes that is that she might do it again a few years later. <laughs> because she realized that the, the, the pain, as difficult as it is, and as much as you wouldn't volunteer to go through that, at the end of that pain, there's this beautiful gift of a new life. But she's consumed with the pain and forgets that it's not about the pain, it's about the seed of the baby. Then there's the baby. The baby is completely confused. The baby just can't figure out why the mother is being so cruel to it. Why is the baby being forced out of a fantastic place where it's lived for nine months, where it's had 24-7 climate control, 24-7 food and drink on tap, free transportation, it has been listened to and tapped on and sang to and taken everywhere all the time for nine months. What a life. And now suddenly it has been pushed out and squeezed through into it knows not what and why it's just. So the babies, if you could interview the baby in birth and in transition and in the birth canal, the baby would say, I do not like this. I am totally confused. And you human beings are very unreasonable and cruel people. I want to stay where I am. What's wrong with me staying here? It's been fantastic so far. The baby is confused. And then there's the midwife. The midwife is the only one in the room that's cool, calm, and together. She's seen it a thousand times. She knows that she has to coach the mum. She knows she has to be involved in the welfare of the child and she is, she is coaching everybody in the room to get a great result at the end of it. She is the midwife. Now what I want to say to you today is that this church is in a time of transition. You're not just transitioning from one year to another. You have been in a sense of transition for several years. And I want today to be your transition coach. I want to be like the midwife in the room today. Because what I've discovered is in the season of transition, we have a glut. We have an overabundance of mothers and babies, but we have a lack of midwives. We have more people in pain and panicking and disoriented and confused and not happy and when you like that, you're going to make a wrong decision. 
than we do midwives that are calm and together and who see the big picture and can orchestrate a great result for all. I'm going to speak to you about the transition generation. Everybody say that with me. The transition generation. Together, the transition generation. This graphic helps you to see what I'm after. Because I wanted the transition generation word putting over a bridge, spanning two places. Over here, it says the past. Over here, it says the future. Because that bridge, to me, so represents what a transition generation is about. I have talked a lot about the nature of the season, and I've just said a few things to you about it now. But what I haven't talked so much about until today is the caliber of the people involved in navigating their way through that season. And so what I want you to see is that the, the, the people involved in carrying the responsibility to transition from one place to another, from a pre-trial city harvest to a post-trial city harvest, because there are things that happen in our lives that, that, that change us. You can't see them coming. You could never anticipate some things in your own personal life, in your family, in your business, in a government, in a country. There are things happening this year, like the air disasters that we've all seen recently, that change people's lives. They change countries. They change people's mentalities. They change relationships. They change what really matters in life. And you have gone through something in these last few years that has changed you and has affected you to the core and has required something of you that you've never had to come up with in previous years. 25 years on any church, any organization, 25 years on, you're bound to have gone through some big things, faced some big challenges. This property that we are in today was a big challenge. You've moved and transitioned from the property that you were in to this amazing arena here this morning. And this represents a big challenge. This has brought its own challenges to you, not just financially, but the way you do church. It's brought challenges to you in the way you structure your staff and the way you do music in the way that you set up this room and do what you do. And, and everything's changed in that way. And you realize that, that between what we knew and what we don't yet know, can often be years. And I have seen more people lost in transition than I've ever seen lost in the worst winter. Why do we lose so many people in transition? It's because no one seems to know what's going on. It's because we are so consumed with pain and confusion and there's no midwife voice that's saying it's going to be okay. Here's what's actually going on. Here's how you are to respond. And I put a bridge because the transition generation are a bridge. People themselves and how they respond and how we react and what comes out of us in a season of transition, allows us to be a bridge that connects people from where we've come from to where we are going next. Because if we don't have people that are a, that are a transition generation, when events and circumstances require that, what happens is the narrative gets severed. 
The continuity and the momentum gets broken in that organization, in that life, in that church. And it almost becomes like the tale of two churches or the tale of two organizations. And the people that come later kind of have no connection to the past and what went on because in the transition period, people just kind of checked out and just thought, like, oh, we'll be glad when this is over. What I want to say to you today is that you were born at a perfect time. This church started in 1989. You are 25 years old last year. This church started in 1989, but that's not when God started. God didn't start this church in 1989. That's when people got involved in what God had started from eternity. When God starts things in time and space, which he is immune from. But when God starts things in creation, he starts it from completion. So God sits at the end of time and reaches back in time and sets in motion everything he needs to happen when it's supposed to happen, including the time when you are born, where you are born, where you grow up, and where you do life. Paul speaking to the Athenians, that he could see were very confused about all this. Said in Acts 17, 26, he said, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Wow. So God reached back from eternity and said in his heart, I need a certain caliber of people to be in City Harvest Church in this several years period when they will go through the greatest trial perhaps this church has ever had. I need a certain caliber and quality of people to be in the church at that time to help bridge this church from where you were to where you're going next. And in this in-between zone, I need a quality of people that will stand up and be strong and courageous, that will not be consumed by the pain, or not be consumed by the confusion like the mother and the baby, but they will behave like midwives. They will become my spiritual coaches to one another. They will navigate their way and they will bridge from the past to the future so that all that come after you can walk across that bridge that you create in this season. And the thing is in war and in conflict, if you watch war films or study anything about war, the first thing an enemy wants to destroy in conflict is the bridges. If you can bomb or control the bridges, you cut off your enemy's potential supply lines. So the bridges are the first things to be bombed. And I've got to tell you, the first thing the devil wants to bomb in this church at this time and hours in the late 90s was the group of people. We were, we were about 700 people in the late 90s which is huge for England church, as many of you know. But we went down to 300 people in about two years. In our transition, 300 people plus left our church inside two years. And we finished up with like Gideon's 300 that were left. That said, we believe... We believe that we are born for such a time as this. We believe that it is our calling and our privilege to be called, to be the people that get to stay here and see this thing through to completion. 25 years from now, people that are not even born yet will be in this church. 
they will not have been part of this season. They'll hear about it. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll read something about it. But 25 years from now, there'll be people sat where you're sitting, enjoying the presence of God, growing as a believer, living a great life because of what this church gives to them. They'll be enjoying all the things that you have built by that time, but they will not be aware that there was a season 25 years earlier in this church's history. There was a difficult, difficult time placed huge demands and challenges on this church. But somehow in that time, there was no lull. There was no dropping out. There was no fading away. That somewhere in that four, five-year period, there emerged a new DNA. There emerged a new strength, a new confidence, a new courage in the caliber of the people in this church. And they themselves carried this church into the future that they went on to enjoy. There are people coming down the track that need you. If we could interview people 25 years from now, if we could go into the future and, and go around this room and say, hey, what would you like to ask or what would you like to say to the people in this church 25 years back? If we could go into the future, I think they would say to us from the future, whatever you do, don't let the enemy bomb you. Whatever you do, don't quit. Whatever you do, navigate your way through this season of transition because our future and our children's children's future depends on you, on your watch, standing up and being counted and being stronger than you ever thought possible. Yes. You know, perhaps the most significant transition generation of all time that we can learn from today are the children of Israel. You know, the people that came out of Egypt in the Exodus. And I went and, have you seen that film yet? Exodus, Gods and Kings. Uh, it, it, it is out of the movies at the moment. And I just saw it recently. And it gave me again an awareness of the scale of how massive this thing was with half a million plus people. That was the statistic in the movie, perhaps way more than that. Imagine that mass of people but not only the mass of people in terms of numerically, but imagine now, they have been 430 years, 17 generations as slaves. Imagine if we were that generation of Israelites in this room, that we were the ones that were going to march free from our bondage in Egypt, but we didn't realize that what that meant was we had the responsibility on our shoulders unlike any other generation before us, to do this well. And as you know, they all died in the wilderness, so we better listen to them shouting to us from the grave. We better listen to them speaking to us from that desert that they perished in. Their lives have something to say to us. They did not die in vain because they would say to us that we came out of Egypt, but what defeated us was not a Pharaoh that we couldn't beat. It was a mentality that we couldn't beat. What killed them was not Pharaoh, it was their slave mentality. So in the, in the transition between Egypt and Canaan, they perished. That, that season of transition between coming out of the past and stepping into the future is where they perished. I told you, many, many more people than we realize 
are lost in transition than are ever lost even in a winter, even in the winter of bondage in Egypt. They survived for 430 years. They survived. In fact, they flourished. Numerically, they flourished to the point where Pharaoh was threatened by their numbers. They flourished in slavery. But when they were free, they didn't flourish. The moment they were free, they began to die and turn inward and become murmuring and negative and bitter and complaining. I think God's like, what? Instead of thinking, hang on a minute, we are, we are, we get to be, we are privileged to be the transition generation. We are the ones that are going to march out of Egypt and take our children and our children's children into a new future. We're the ones that get to do that. Rather than we're the unfortunate ones, rather than I wish I wasn't alive, I wish this had not come on my watch, I wish this wasn't asked of me, rather than believe that, and some of you may have felt that. Wish I wasn't in City Harvest at this time or when all that happened. And I'm here to say to you today, that in 2015 again, to step up and say, I believe that I am here for such a time as this. I don't think I'm here by accident or this is unfortunate or I think, you know what? And, and some of you have been so chilled in this time during the trial. You've been so chilled that you've surprised yourself. And you're so chilled because somehow inside you feel, I was built for this thing. I've, I've got this. I know what's required of me, and I feel privileged. It's like a high calling on my life to be part of the core of this church that transitioned this church through this difficult time to a future that's coming. I already feel that in my heart, and I'm already carrying that. And some of you are stepping up in a way you never thought you would. Amen. That's right. That's the devil who's trying to shut us down. Doesn't like us talking about this stuff. Yes. We'll carry on until we see someone in a fluorescent jacket shouting at us. Until then, we'll carry on. We will not be shut down. You all okay? Stay with me. You know, we can learn from these guys, this generation that took 40 years to wander around a wilderness. We don't want to move into a new year and have an old mentality. So we get to June, and it's June, and it's not that we didn't move into our new year. We did, but we forgot we took our old thinking, our old mindsets with us. Your gift to yourself and your gift to each other. Ooh. Thank you. Yeah, we heard you. Thank you. We're still calm. We're still calm. We'll carry on. She probably keeps saying it. She's like, this is like, this is like the lady's voice on your GPS. She won't shut up. Hey, Lord. We can learn some things from this generation. I'm going to give you Three or four things quickly in the time we've got. You all okay? From this generation that failed so badly in their season of transition. 
There's, there's several things the devil will always try to do to bomb the bridge, to bomb the generational people that are called to be the transition generation. There are things he'll do to try and stop you. First of all, what he did to try and stop the children of Israel was that he, he got Pharaoh so angry about them, he called in all the slave uh, drivers, the, 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 the people he employed to oppress them. And he said, I want you to make them to continue to make the same number of bricks, but to remove straw from them. You see, straw was the binding agent for bricks. You couldn't make bricks that wouldn't hold together without straw. And the Egyptians gathered the straw and provided the straw so that the Israelites could keep making the number of bricks required and they weren't wasting time finding straw. So Pharaoh said, they're lazy. That's why they want to leave. They're lazy. I'm going to punish them by making their work even harder. Let's remove straw from them, but we will not reduce the amount of bricks we require. That's just like the devil all over. Don't let anyone control your straw in 2015. What's your straw? What's your binding agent in your life? It is your faith, your hope, your confidence, your convictions, your relationships, your route into God, your commitment to keep reaching out to the lost. These things are the binding agents, if you like, of our lives and of our church together. Don't let the devil remove that straw from you deplete that straw in your life, as it were, and then he makes you feel bad for not having enough faith. He robs you of your faith, he assaults your hope, and then he makes you feel bad for not having enough, even though it's him that took it from you, as it were. And what he wants to do is get these people so afraid and so frustrated and disoriented, like the mother and the baby, that they would decide, we're not going to leave Egypt. We'd rather stay here. Let's not get Pharaoh upset. When Pharaoh gets upset, when the enemy gets angry, he takes it out on us. So let's just keep the enemy happy and behave ourselves. Let's not try anything radical. Let's not talk about leaving. Let's not talk about the best 2015 we've ever had. Let's not talk about this year being the best year we've ever had. Let's not use that language. Let's not get the devil mad. I think is what the elders of Israel thought because they went to Moses and said, this is ridiculous. You see what you've done? You've made Pharaoh so angry with us. He's removed the straw from us and now our work is all the more intense. Exactly. Because when the devil removes straw, it can do one of two things. You either run around trying to get more straw in your life, get more faith, get more hope, and struggle all year to be a better Christian. Or you think, you know what? You have picked on the wrong person. You have picked on the wrong church. I'm going to make you pay for messing with me. You either see the removal of straw as something you need to struggle with, or you see it as the final straw. And after that, say, that's it, I'm getting radical from now on. That's what God wanted them to do. The removal of straw was to create movement in their hearts to say, we are no longer going to live under this oppression. We are out of here. It opened them up to the idea of going forward and getting out of Egypt. And Moses needed God to help him do that in them. Secondly, 
if the enemy can't stop you leaving, and he can't stop us going in 2015, we're already in 2015. The devil can't stop you going into the rest of this year. He can't stop you going into the rest of this year with a good heart and with confidence and with hope and with faith and believing for the best. He can't stop you doing that. He realizes that many of you have way too much momentum for him to think he can do that. But if the devil can't stop you leaving, and he couldn't stop these slaves leaving eventually, all the plagues wore him out. If he can't stop you leaving, he'll settle for you leaving with a distraction. Because remember, Pharaoh called in Moses and said to him, okay, the men can go, but the women and children must stay. The men can go and worship your God out in the desert and do whatever you need to do and go and do church in your own way. But the women and children must stay. And Moses said, that's not a deal. Moses said, we either all go or none of us go. Because Pharaoh knew that if the men went, even though the men would have moved out and the men would have been free, their minds would not have been free. Their affections were not free because their loved ones were still back in Egypt. So they're going forward, but they're looking behind themselves all the time because their loved ones are not with them. So the devil doesn't mind you leaving. He doesn't mind you going into this new year. But if he can, if he can tuck a distraction... Sneak a distraction into your heart, into your mind, it will create hesitancy. It will put a foot break into your life, as it were. Because though you are going into the new year, there's something that's distracting you from going forward. And then later he said, you can all go, all the people can go, but leave the livestock here. And Moses said, no way. We either all go, including our animals, our livestock, our prosperity, our food source. We're not going to go without that. And so the devil tried twice in the form of Pharaoh to say, I can't stop you leaving, but I'm going to make sure if you do leave, you're distracted because there's things you left behind that keep you thinking you shouldn't have left. Beware of that in 2015. Do not let the trial become a distraction in 2015 that shuts you down, that causes you to hesitate, that causes you to slow down. So you're going forward, but internally you're looking back or you're hesitating or you're distracted. And the devil knows if he can't stop you leaving, he'll settle for giving you a distraction because a distraction disturbs your focus. It weakens your momentum. It depletes your strength. It dilutes your power. A, a distraction can do all those things and you hardly notice it because you feel, well, we move forward, we're going forward. Yes, but internally, it's like you're leaking. It's like internally you're leaking out of these small openings, as it were, of a distraction. Don't leave your past and keep a distraction with you as we go forward into 2015. Number three, the enemy wants you to leave your past. Leave 2014, leave this season that you've been in empty-handed. But God said to Moses, tell the people in Genesis 12, 35, go and ask the Egyptians for gold and silver and clothing. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards them, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. God said, when you leave Egypt, Make sure before you leave town, you go 
and get from these oppressors, get from the enemy that's had you captive for generations, go and get stuff from them and get the right stuff. This is purpose-driven plundering. It's no good going and saying, well, I'd love that piece of furniture or that plant pot or I'd like that picture on the wall. That's no good for where they were going. So God said, just in case you're confused, I'm going to tell you what to ask for. Ask for gold and silver and precious stones and clothing. Ask for that stuff because this stuff was tradable and usable in any season of life they'd go into. This is hard currency. This is stuff that can give them prosperity instantly wherever they are. And it says, in fact, it's interesting in Exodus 3 and 21, an earlier place where God was more forensic about the instruction. He said, don't leave Egypt empty-handed. Every woman, you wouldn't know the women are doing the asking. The women are master askers. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in the house for articles of gold and silver and clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters. This is interesting to me because God said to Moses to tell the people, when you leave Egypt, plunder the past to resource your future. There is stuff that 2014 owes you. There's stuff that these past few years, it owes you. It owes you. Don't move into 2015 unless you make sure first you go back and collect everything the devil owes you. Collect everything that things you went through owe you. Collect everything you need that's precious within that to take into your future. There are precious things that you must take with you from 2014 into 2015. And if you do that, you'll never have to look for them again. You'll never have to collect them again. You'll never have to suffer to find them again. And so he said, go and ask them. And he said, it's interesting, get the clothing and put the clothing on your sons and daughters. I believe that God wanted the children to leave Egypt, to leave the past, not looking like slaves. And finally, I want to say to you, that I believe that when we are transitioning from one season to another, we have to learn to dress for our future. Dress for your future. Have you ever seen someone or have you ever been the person who is dressed to go to a wedding or you are dressed in fancy dress but you're not at the event yet? You're in Starbucks or you're on public transport, and it just looks so out of place that you would be wearing a giraffe outfit in Starbucks, or you are in your black tie and suit, and you're just on public transport. You look odd, so much so you feel you want to almost explain to people, I don't always dress like this. This is not my norm. I'm on my way to a fancy dress event for the new year. I know it looks odd. But when you get to the event where you're going, you don't stand out anymore. Because everyone's dressed like that. But between leaving home, between leaving the past, and entering the future... There's a period where you will not fit and you will look odd. In summer in our country, which is not long and not often, but in England when we have summer, 
I have to laugh because I travel all the time. But when it gets to summer in our country and I go to the airport, in my case, Manchester or London, I see all the people going on holiday and I always laugh because they go to the airport dressed for when they get off at the other side. So they're dressed in their shorts and they're dressed in their, you know, their flip-flop sandals and it's cold and raining in England, but they know it's going to be warm when they arrive. So they look out of place at Manchester airport dressed in their holiday gear. But when they get to where they're going, they know they're just going to fit in perfectly. And I have seen some sights at the airport, I've got to tell you. Sometimes you feel so awkward thinking the way you're thinking, dressing mentally for the future that you're entering into, changing your thinking, changing your relationships, changing your feelings and emotions, rearranging your life. Sometimes it looks odd because no one understands why you would talk that way or think that way when you're not there yet. Some of you are incubating a future that you can't explain to anyone yet. It's like you're dressing for a place where you are not yet, and before you get there, it's just embarrassing and awkward to dress that way, to behave that way, to believe for those things, when it seems there's no sign of that being possible in or through your life. I believe that God wanted these kids to be dressed in clothes that were to do not with slavery, but these kids looked like they were free kids. These kids looked like they were prosperous and had resources. They didn't at that point. But there'd come a point in their future where no one would put a second glance towards them because they would fit in to the new place they were going. There is a new year coming. It's here whether we are ready or not. So we may as well be ready. 2015 could be the greatest year this church and you personally have ever had. God has never needed everything to be perfect for you to have a great year. God has never needed everything to be solved and settled for you to have a great season in your life. It's almost in spite of whatever's going on that God wants us to realize we can prosper in the most difficult of conditions. Take Joseph who prospered in prison. Moses who prospered in the adversity of his life. David, who prospered despite all the, uh, the persecution and despite all the rejection from his own family. You can prosper in prison. You can dominate in a situation that's trying to dominate you. It's up to us. This year will be up to us. It's not up to God. God has no different in 2015 than he was in 2014. God is the same. God is not more powerful, he's no more present, he's no more for you, he doesn't love you anymore, he's no more gracious to you, he doesn't, he doesn't encourage you anymore, his word is the same, his Holy Spirit is the same, his purpose is the same, God is no more to you than he was in 2014 or 2013 or 2012. God is the same, it's us that must not be the same. God does not change, so all the change is on our end. And however you march out of 2014 into 2015 is up to us. Let's get the band back up here this morning and we'll come to a close. However you enter this year is going to be your gift to God and to one another and to this community and to this country. We want you to march out of 2014 dressed for your future. What do you want that to look like?
What do you want it to, what do you want to be like? What person do you want to be in 2015? And set out your life this morning, set out your thinking, set out your relationships, set out the way that you approach life in a way that by this time next year, you look back and say, wow, I, I, I don't know if I felt it was possible, but this year has been just the best I can remember in my life. This could be the best year ever for City Harvest. It depends on how you approach this year. Do not let that devil control your straw. Do not let him attach a distraction to your life that keeps you looking backwards as you go forwards into 2015. Plunder this year. Take from it every seed, from every sorrow. Take it with you into your future. And dress for the future that's coming up and is already here. Dress for your future. Speak about things as though they are, even though they're not yet. God loves people wired that way. And become, become the transition generation in this church who believes, I was born for such a time as this. I was there when God needed me the most to step up and be that caliber of people that we had to be to transition City Harvest into her future. Let's all stand together this morning. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Come on, let's applaud him together this morning. Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.